Greetings uh, from the brothers and sisters that are gather, have already gathered, rather, at Jefferson Park Baptist Church in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, I don't really feel like a guest here. I've never been to Phoenix, never been to Trinity Bible Church. Uh, one level, I, I know so many faces and, and have so many friends. Another level, our church has been aligned with you in prayer for many months and years. Uh, we've been praying for you and as you've cared for, for Josh and Carrie, and as somebody who's loved them from afar, thank you for the compassion and comfort you've shown Josh uh, and his boys. Uh, it has been encouraging and challenging to hear of how you, you've loved one another, and, 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 and especially Josh. So I, I want to thank you for uh, caring for one another in a way that, that truly glorifies Christ, and I pray he will continue to unify you in, uh, in that love for one another. Uh, can, I, can I pray before we begin again? Father, I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you, Lord, for the way you've given her elders and leaders who proclaim your, your word with confidence and boldness. May they continue to be built up in the one gospel of Jesus Christ. And help us, Lord, to just meditate upon this instruction you have for us on forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we begin, I want to, to, for us to, to, to ask a, a question, to think about a question. What will it take to be happy? What will it take to be happy? You know, someone answered, I, I need something, right? I... I I, I need something added to my life for happiness. A, a new home, a new job. You know, I'd really like it if my spouse is more like this. We think that sometimes, right? I'd really like it if my children were maybe more like this. If something would change about my life, maybe something needs to be taken away for me to be happy. A physical ailment, a, a migraine, maybe, maybe debt. If I only didn't have this hanging over my head all the time, I'd be happy. T- today, we're going to be talking about happiness because God cares about your happiness. It, it, it is throughout Scripture. Uh, one of the most wonderful truths is that God desires for us to be happy, and the hard truth is we actually have to submit to His way to be happy. Uh, Psalm 1 is a uh, wisdom instruction psalm. Blessed are those who delight in the law of the Lord. That, that word blessing, one key aspect of blessing is, is happiness. And, and so th- this morning, our, our psalm, as we've, we've sung it and we've heard it read, we're, we're going to see that repeated idea, how blessed, how blessed. If you're looking for just kind of one key big idea, your, your, the thesis for the message, happiness comes from the humility to seek forgiveness for our sins. Happiness comes from the humility to seek forgiveness from our sins. Our first point comes from verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 32. If you're don't have a Bible, that's uh, on page 462 of the, the Bible in your, your pew there. Psalm 32, found on page 462, if you're using a pew Bible. First point, the blessing of forgiveness. The blessing of forgiveness. And know how, notice how emphatic it begins. 
How happy, how happy. The, the psalm is a masculine, it's, it's an instructional psalm. We are getting an instruction on happiness and forgiveness from our text this morning. And as we, we, we think about just forgiveness, let's, let's just define that word. Forgiveness happens when someone no longer counts our sin against us. It's removed. A debt we owed is taken away and no longer on our account. It sets aside anger. Forgiveness sets aside hurt. It removes vengeance. It, 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 forgiveness seeks to renew a relationship. It, it postures itself. When you forgive, you posture yourself to move towards someone that you, you, you have some reason to be against because of some wrong that's happened. Really, I, I think forgiveness, it's a promise. When you say, I forgive, you're, you're saying, I promise not to think about that thing, you, the offense, I promise not to dwell upon it, to talk about it, and to bring it up at our next fight. That's helpful for those marriages where, you know, you've got that ammunition waiting around that you said you've forgiven, but then something else happens and you've got to bring up that one thing that, you know, is like your, 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 your trump card in the battle. Now, forgiveness says, I'm not going to let this offense be an obstacle or a boundary. I'm going to move past it. I'm going to pursue a happy relationship. You know, when there's sin in a relationship, it just creates this insecurity, this awkwardness. It's an obstacle. And forgiveness says, I'm not going to let that obstacle keep me from pursuing you. If you want a helpful meditation on forgiveness, it's Matthew 18. You know, where, where the disciples ask, do we forgive seven times? No, it's 70 times seven. And there, I just want to encourage you if, you, if you battle forgiveness, meditate upon Matthew 18. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've had to spend about seven months in nothing but Matthew 18 at a time. Forgiveness is, is, is a hard, difficult, heart battle that's worth fighting. And, and, and meditating upon God's word and forgiveness is, is, is necessary. There's something else our psalmist says here. It is how happy is he whose transgression is forgiven. There's an assumption lying behind this psalm, and it's this. And if we miss this, this psalm isn't going to be as helpful. The assumption is your relationship with God is the most important relationship you have. If you're, if you're not a Christian, I just want to make sure that's very clear. Your relationship with God while you may not think there's an existing one, he, he, he does see a relationship with you, and it's not a good one. Your relationship with God is the most important relationship you have. God designed you for happiness, to know you and to be known by you, to love you and to be loved by you. This is why sin is so dangerous. This is why it's so hard to be, to be trapped in guilt and enslaved by the lies of sin. As we keep them about happiness, what keeps us from happiness? Our psalmist tells us, he uses three words to describe what keeps us from happiness. Transgression, and sin, and iniquity. You see that in verses 1 and 2. Transgression, sin, and iniquity. And these words are important. We're going to see them repeated. Transgression is just flat-out rebellion. 
right? I know the law and I'm going to run over against it. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to do what I know I should not do. I'm going to reject God's authority. Sin, that's like shooting bow and arrows in the target. You, you missed the mark, right? You're off. You, you've, you've not aligned yourself in God's way. You're, 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 you're missing the mark. Iniquity, that's just kind of the twisted bentness of the heart. You know, our hearts were designed to be bent up towards God, and in sin, we're always bending it back to ourselves. There's a bentness, a, a twisted, a perversion. There's three words for sin, transgression, sin, iniquity. The psalmist uses three different words for forgiveness. First, we see there the transgression. Blessed is he whose transgression is, is forgiven. Happiness is found when our sin is covered. Happiness is found when, 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 when iniquity is not imputed. Let's look at that first word, forgiveness, or forgiven. This has the idea of being carried off like a scapegoat, that, that our sin is put on someone or something else, and, and they're a substitute, and they're, they're pushed off. It's taken away from us by being put on someone else. The next one, sin is covered. God doesn't see us as sinners. He sees us as righteous. He covers our iniquity with a righteousness. Next, the happiness is found when our iniquity is imputed. This is a legal term. It is no longer on our account, but, but he's taken it and put it on somebody else's account, and our account is now clean, our debt cleared. To summarize, when God no longer counts our sin against us, when he covers it so it no longer, he no longer sees it, when it's carried away by someone else, this is happiness. Now, when we look at this, this is a Psalm of David. Some have assumed maybe this is him reflecting on Bathsheba, like Psalm 51. I want to be clear, there's no specific sin mentioned so that we can just apply it however God will be convicting us right now. It, it, it's an open-ended psalm in that way. It's instructing us that whatever sin would be convicting us right now, we can know that it can be forgiven, it can be covered, it can be, it, we, we can be, it can be imputed away, it can be, it can be not counted against us anymore. I mean, the first thing we need to see is our sin is first and foremost against God. We need to be seeing here sin is serious because it is the hindrance, it is the obstacle in our relationship with God, and therefore it is the problem in our happiness. Our next point, verses three and four, we've seen the blessing of forgiveness. Now we see the need for forgiveness. The need for forgiveness. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Notice there's four words that really capture the miserable state of the psalmist, of David, wasted away, groaning, heavy, drained. As I mentioned in Sunday school, there really isn't anything quite like a miserable Christian. We were created by God for happiness. We're redeemed by the blood of Christ for happiness. 
And when we decide to delight in the things of this world, we decide to set our sighs on, on sin and lust and to, to, to delight in anger or, or, or whatever sin it is. It's a wonderful blessing that God does not allow us to finally have any true happiness in the sin we pursue. He allows us to be miserable, to bring us to repentance. And I believe this is what the psalm is capturing when he kept silent, when he tried to hide it away, when he, when he pretended it wasn't really a big problem. He wasted away. He groaned. It was heavy. He was drained. This section reminds me of Hawthorne's Scarlet Letter. Remember this, this book we all read a long time ago, or some not too long ago, maybe? Right? Hester Prine, she uh, was caught in adultery. She had a child out of wedlock, and they put a big scarlet letter on her. And what's interesting is she goes and she finds salvation out in the wilderness with her daughter, but the real scarlet letter wasn't on Hester, the one who was known for her sin. It was, Di- sorry if I want to ruin the book for anybody, but it, it, it was Dimsdale, the priest, the father of the child who hid away that sin. And remember, he just wasted away and wasted away and just dies in miserable condition because he kept silent out of fear of man, fear of being rejected, whatever it may be, he dies because he does not have the courageous faith Confess sin. Be very clear. Sin is always dangerous. Hidden sin is deadly. Hidden sin is deadly. It's like serving poison at dinner and the anecdote is right there and, and, and you know it's there but you don't want to take it. You don't tell the doctor what kind of poison you've, you've taken so they don't have to give the right remedy. It's hiding away that, that most precious piece of information that would really heal you, but you just want to hide that sin away. You want to hold close what is really killing you. Why it's worth it? Let's go back to verse 2, the first section. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. Sin, by definition, is always tied to a lie. We're lying to ourselves. We, 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 we believe a lie. And what's, what's hard there is then you get wrapped up in the self-deception. And this is where you, you, you start embracing sin and it just, it, sin just makes you kind of stupid. You just keep believing the same lie and then you forget what the truth was. That self-deception is so deadly. So I ask this, what, what keeps us from confessing sin? Is it, a, is it a question? Is, is God really good? Would he confess me of this sin? Maybe you're wondering, have you lost his favor? Are you afraid of what others will think? Is what keeps you from confessing sin your concern that you don't want to stop enjoying that sin? When you confess sin, you're saying, it's wrong, and I'm going to not do it. I need forgiveness, and I need repentance is what keeps us from confessing sin actually our love for sin. As we continue on, verse 5 and 7, we see this great transition, the certainty of forgiveness. Notice he states with this gentle truth, 
happy. Blessed are those whose sin is forgiven, who, who, whose, 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 whose guilt is no longer counted against them. And then he goes into this great section where it shows how, how sin really has a, an effect that's so negative, it's destructive and deadly. And then he has a turn of posture. Notice the same words are used from the first section. I acknowledge my sin to you. I acknowledge my iniquity and did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt. This is the glorious turn. I acknowledge my sin. I did not hide my iniquity. I confess my transgression and the consequence. You forgave me. The key is the change between verses four and five. What happened? What happened from the miserable guy to the, the guy who's going to be rejoicing? I believe it's a turn in posture. I'm going to stop embracing sin. Is that what will make me happy? And I'm going to embrace God who makes me happy. I'm going to repent and turn. I'll, I'll confess to the Lord. And he forgives me. I think this is really getting at what's most unique about Christianity. Let's just be clear. We understand and hear this. The, the God our Father of Jesus Christ, the Son, what, what, what is most unique about him in the worlds of religion is you confess and he forgives that, that, that's, that's, that's what's unique about Christianity. You confess and you're forgiven. What happens if you go to the, the local court and confess to a judge? You're guilty and a sentencing takes place. What happens if you talk to your self-righteous friends? They, they ignore you and they talk about you. What happens if you confess to Jesus Christ? I forgive you. I'll be very clear, this forgiveness, it is not cheap. It is not easy. But it is that simple. It's not cheap because Jesus Christ had to die to actually secure that forgiveness. He was a scapegoat that the sin was put upon and he was forsaken by the Father. It is not cheap because he had to become like us in every way, yet without sin, and was crushed for our iniquity. It is not cheap grace costly it's also not easy because our hearts love to get us tied into sin our hard hearts want to remain hardened it is not easy because we do enjoy sin but it's simple god forgive me a sinner set me free he always hears that prayer and he always answers it he is a forgiving God. I say this is what makes Christianity unique because most religions do one of two things. It's ignore sin as a real category. Pretend everything's just neutral. There's no real good or, or no evil. More common is uh, the idea that you, you work out your way into salvation. You, you just need to do more good than bad. Islam teaches this. You know, if you just pray fast, help your neighbor... You're, you're on the road to forgiveness. Notice how different that is? 
Our psalmist says, I confess and he forgave me. It is a declaration that is final. Islam puts you on the road to forgiveness. Without any assurance, you actually get there. It simply says you just need to outdo your sin with good things. That's not forgiveness. That's just forcing you to pay your debt in a different way. Jesus says, I've come. I've paid your debt. I've provided the perfect sacrifice. I've taken on all the guilt, all the debt, all the burden, and I have provided a perfect sacrifice so that you can be forgiven. He was covered with our sin and judged for it so that we can then be covered by his righteousness so that when God sees us, he doesn't see us as sinners. He sees us as his his own children. Believer, rejoice. It's just that simple. We confess and we are forgiven. Let's look at verses 6 and 7. Still under the certainty of forgiveness. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in the time that you may be found. There's an urging here. Seek the Lord. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You reserve me from, preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I, I want to point out here this. Let everyone who is godly pray to him in the time that he may be found. If you're not a Christian, I want to put some urgency here. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if you hear, I, I understand my sin, but I'm not ready to stop enjoying it and just rejoice in Jesus, maybe just a little bit longer. No, no today may be the one day you get to hear that call, and it may be the last call. There's some urgency here. You hear it in this author. If you're going to be godly, if you're going to pray, now is the time he can be found. Don't delay as if that sin is worth delaying for. You're putting your life in the hands of sin. You're, 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 you're delaying re- rejoicing in Jesus so you can rejoice in sin. As a little bit of a further instruction here, I want us to see something that our psalmist does that is a model for us. I acknowledge my sin and my iniquity and my transgression. And that leads to my happiness. There is a way in which you can confess their sin, her transgression, his iniquity, and the result will be your bitterness. Bitterness is talking to God about other people's sin. Happiness is talking to God about our sin. One of my favorite parts of pastoring is that counseling session where somebody comes and they want to tell me all the things someone else has done is wrong. And I just sit there and listen and nod and, yep, yep. And it finally, like, cools off and calms down and I get to explain to them I can't do anything to help that person right now whatsoever, right? All that information is interesting, but there's nothing I can do to change that person's life in this meeting. So let's talk about your anger. Let's talk about your desire to list off all their sins and let's think about what you need to do to pursue Christ in the middle of that. 
And it's, it's so wonderful to see the Christians, when they, they hear that, they squirm. And it's a glorious, godly squirming because you can feel the grace of God just convicting. And they, it, it's a battle, right? It's a battle. Am I really going to stop being angry and forgive them as I've been forgiven? And it's so glorious to see the Christians repent. It's just amazing how tempting it is to just talk about everybody else's sin. But what we need to realize is, is, is I am a sinner, first and foremost, against God. You forgave my sin. Re- rejoice in those words today. That, 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 that is that, that the heart and soul of this posture change from, from hiding sin to being drained by the sin we're hiding to, to, to now just be re- able to rejoice. You've forgiven my sin. But before we move on, let's just give a few practical points here. What does it mean to confess my sin? Okay, that, that is the, the key thing. This is the, the key invitation that Christianity offers that no one else offers. Come and confess your sin and you can be forgiven. First and foremost, it means we confess to God. We recognize he's a holy God who has made his will clear and we have not followed him. It, it, it is, is an act of acknowledging I have done wrong and you, God, are merciful. So, so confession begins with God. Even in Psalm 51, he, he, David has, has committed adultery and murdered, and yet he says, against you and you alone, O God. Emphasizing the importance of sinning against God in that. Second, what about confessing to others? In my own life, I practice that anyone who has seen or heard my sin, I have to apologize to. So let's just pretend that maybe one day I might lose my cool with my wife and raise my voice. That might happen, hypothetically. If my children hear it, I have to apologize in front of them. Make sense? There, there's whoever you, whoever you sin in front of, not just against. I believe it's helpful for them to hear that confession. It's so instructional. Parents, one of the best lessons you can teach your children is apologizing for sin. You're teaching them the gospel in such a real practical way. Third, what if my sin's done in private? There's nobody there. It was just me and maybe my computer, maybe me and my own thoughts, maybe whatever it is. What if it's something done in private? I think it's helpful for you to go find a faithful brother or sister and confess that sin. It's helpful to have that practice. I know I didn't sin against you, but I need to confess this. I need to, I need to talk to you about the sin that's entangling me. I need your help. I need to, 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 to have meditation on the gospel. Would you at least hear my confession? And then, finally, if you're the person that someone's confessing to, here's how you respond. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. Right? We're, not, we're, not, we're not Catholic priests there. We're just Protestant priests. Right? We're, 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 we're ambassadors for Jesus Christ with a with, with, with great proclamation of the gospel, you're forgiven. Christians don't respond, how could you? Christians respond, me too. Praise God for the forgiveness we have in Jesus Christ. Our last point, the life of the forgiven. Notice here the voice changes in the speaker. This is very much like Psalm 51, We've, we've heard the blessing and happiness. We've seen the, the, the miserableness of holding on to sin. We've seen the great turn and rejoicing of being forgiven. 
And now he turns and says, I will instruct you. Again, this is a masculine. It's an, it is an instructor. I'm going to instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Verse 9 is fantastic. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding. It's just wonderful that sometimes Scripture is really raw and real. Don't, don't be stubborn. Don't, don't, don't be like the beast of burden whose trappings, right? Trappings is like how you make yourself pretty, right? You, the trappings of glory is what the saints are for. But, but don't, be a, don't be like a beast of burden who's, who's decorated with a, a bit and bridle, having to be pulled and, and, and pushed, goaded. I fit the, the beast more than the, the action there, but it, it, it's fantastic. That, that word picture, kind of life verse close, right? Life verse material. It, it captures that stubbornness the heart wants to hold on to sin with. Don't be like that beast of burden, stubborn, holding on to sin, because God will have his way with you. God, if he's purchased you with the blood of Christ and sealed you with the Holy Spirit, he will have his way with you. And it may be the tugging and pulling of the bit and the bridle, and that is not pleasant. Don't be so hard-headed and hearted that God has to use restraints. Verse 10, many of the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord Loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Verse 10 really summarizes verses 1 to 5. The the, the sorrows of the wicked, they're going to be multiplied. But notice there the gladness of those who, who, are, who are godly, who are going to turn their posture away from sin and towards God. You know, there's a lot of talk of revival. Revival is simply this, repenting of our sin and seeking to rejoice only in Christ. As we conclude, I, I pray as we were led through this, this even theme, through the, the songs and the prayers, Whatever the Lord is convicting you of, if you're not a Christian, do not let today pass without asking somebody around you, without talking to an elder here, without, without speaking with somebody. What, what, what does it really mean to confess sin? How, how does this work? What did Jesus do again? It's okay to ask these questions. The people around you would love you for you to ask these questions. Do not walk away without having a sense understanding of what forgiveness is. Christian brothers and sisters, Ask the Lord, what, what, what sin is really keeping me from being happy? Yeah, you've been da- battling dis- with discontent. What sin is keeping you from really rejoicing in Christ? And, 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 and make sure we're practicing that wonderful confession of sin and declaring we're, we're forgiven in Christ one another. You know, it's one thing to be evangelistic and, and always offering confession of sin to the world. We need to remember that confession of sin has to keep happening within the walls of a church. Because we don't stop sinning. We need to make sure we're, we're, we're welcoming confession. And being quick 
to forgive as our Lord and Savior is. Will you pray with me?